Chill. 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 Turn up. Yeah. What's going on, people? What's happening? What it do, folks? It's the homie CL, and we back live on the Rundown South Podcast. Gotta know that. Coming to you live from ATL, Georgia. And it's such a great day because it ain't raining right now. I do appreciate that. And I appreciate you for listening to this podcast. However you getting it. Hopefully you came through from therundown.com. That's D-A rundown.com. Gotta know that. And if you like this podcast, you can get it every time it come out. Just slide on over there to iTunes. Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you like to get podcasts, we just gonna be there. You did? Rate and review if you got time. But uh, today, Grand Show. It's a little long because it's the best of the Rundown South podcast. Now I'm gonna get into that, who's on the podcast and everything in a minute. But I have to go out of my way to give a big shout out. To one of my biggest influences And I mean just I'm a big supporter of Podcasts in general Well of course you see I'm, I'm doing one And I have been doing one for about four years But along the lines I, I do have my own favorites And one of my favorite favorites Is the True Who Podcast Or True Who TV uh, Shout out to the evil super producer Jay Hoy And Recently, because ESPN did some layoffs, they got rid of my man Ethan Strauss, aka Radio Ethan, on the Warriors Wednesday. That that, that kind of caught me off guard. I was ready for my Warriors Wednesday. I'm not gonna lie, but man, I really do miss everything that all those guys came and brought to the table. I mean, you basically had like six or seven different shows inside of one show. I mean, I could sit here all day and you know name off everybody and every show that was on there but the one that really had a lot of connective tissue to what we do here on the rundown south podcast was the bomm podcast also known as black opinions matter monday featuring aminel hassan big walls moreno uh, excuse moreno and black trey and uh if you like that podcast, then the Rundown South is probably a podcast that you really can appreciate because it's a lot of uh, connected tissue as far as uh, culture, uh, what you want to, I guess like the lexicon, just everything that, that you know, black people like is right here for you. But, uh, you know, man, I, I would hate to say RIP to the podcast, but RIP to the podcast in the way that I knew it, because if it comes back, it's not going to be the same. It's just not. It makes me a little sad sometimes, man. And all the True Who fans out there on Reddit and on Twitter, man, I feel your pain. I'm right here with you, dog. All right. Now, on to the show. So like I said earlier, this is the best of the Rundown South podcast. So for those of you who don't know me or you don't know the pod, or maybe you've never heard of it, or maybe you might have taken a listen and you didn't like what you heard before. Well, 
I'm here to show you as long as you keep rocking with me, you're going to find an episode that you really going to like. And as long as you keep rolling with me, you're going to love what you're hearing. So just to give a quick rundown of everybody that's on the best of, we got Keith Nelson Jr. Digital Trends. I talked to him about Drake and I also had like a little clip where we talked about some stuff that happened with the Super Bowl and like freelance strippers. Uh, <laughs> We had Jamie Broadnax, a black girl nurse, come on and talk about Shonda Rhimes. Uh, we had Seku Smith of uh, the NBA Hangtime Blog and Podcast uh, reflect on his time when he was a beat reporter for the AJC covering the Hawks. Uh, we had Van Newkirk, who is now of the Atlantic. He wasn't at the time we recorded, but he did get a nice job at the, at the Atlantic. And the clip that I have from him is where we talk about Donald Trump and his impact on the election. And this was September 2015. And my God, I got goosebumps listening to that. Uh, after that, I do have Dr. Wisdom Powell. Um, at the time, she was with UNC. Um, she's a psychologist. And I had some real particular questions about Rachel Dolezal that I asked her. And she went ahead and did me a service of giving me some great answers. And wrapping up the best of, we have Casey and Chris Lehman of Black Is, the podcast and blog. Uh, they're actually a husband and wife team. And I had talked to them about a lot of different stuff. But the clip that I chose, we were talking about entertainment and more specifically comedians and just the trends that the movies and standard was taking. So, yeah, it's a lot to chew on, but uh, it's going to be well worth your time. So kick back, post some up, roll some up, whatever you like to do, but enjoy the show. And I'll see y'all on the other side. Yeah. But this man, he after views, I was shaky on him ever even being in question or in a competition of best rapper. After this album, there's no way you can possibly say Drake is when you listen to rappers. And I don't care. Oh, this is a new definition for rappers. Rappers sing now. No, that's singing. That's why it's called yeah, they that. sing now. And this then they rap. Like, you can do both and be, it's cool. But once you do more, one a lot more than the other, like Kanye made 808s. That was it. Right. He, he didn't. He put that, that was a moment in time. You Kanye album where he's singing on half the album. Like, full on singing songs, no rapping anywhere. So you can't even make the Kanye argument. Every rapper raps for the majority of the album, or at least for most. And he doesn't do that. And then when he does it, it it's kind of like just styling. It's not like, there's a few songs we have some bars, but it's more so just styling, like, I'm just adding this in. I'm peppering this shit. And all of his, if you listen to his lyrics, he's always saying, I could quit rap. I didn't want to rap. He even said that yeah. he wasn't going to have no raps on views. That, that would have been tragic. That's how much he doesn't want to rap. But see, the thing is, that's, it's, it completely alienates part of your core fan base. But it's, mm -hmm. you know, un the problem is your core fan base, the people that love you from jump are no longer the most profitable. And mm -hmm. he has moved on to just get these single women with all this discretionary income because they <laughs> don't have kids. And he's right there in pocket. 
Like he he has the women on lock. It's all about them. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care about us who like you know what he did on the on the eight oh eight and heartbreaks beat on October's very own or the dude Oof. that did Uptown or you know Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds, yes. Oh man, or the ignorant shit freestyle. You know oh. that dude is is extinct, like extinct. And like the, the here's here's my question to people, and I want to ask you when cause whenever you bring that up about Drake, a common a common and a very understandable re- re- reply is, why are you trying to box him in? He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to just rap. Rappers don't have to. And you know what? I sometimes I go, that's true. My question is. Is it a pro- can he do the opposite of what he has? He has he sang enough where it's time for a full rap album? Like he can do, he's clearly done what he wanted to do for the last four years. Like okay, can we can we now be like okay? Is it time for a Drake rap album? Now I, I talked about this early in the podcast with Easy and. The thing that I said was I would love for him to just do some type of double disc album. Like, you know, may, it might not be the most ideal thing, but if it's a disc one, disc two, where mm-hmm. he's, you know, doing a big boy Andre thing, like here's all of my uh international, I want to be on the pop chart uh, stuff uh, uh. and I can pretty much get myself like I could sell this as a pop album. That way I could get out of the hip hop category when it comes to Grammys. Mm-hmm. And then he could also have that other disc where he has all of his uh Kanye West features and uh you know, Young Thug and Two Chains and you know, all that stuff right there. But I think that's why he tried to call it a playlist when it came out. Which is bullshit. It's, I mean, yes, you know, it's it's complete bullshit, and it sounds great for him to try to be, a, you know, an innovator with the the next evolution <laughs> of albums, you know. But come on, dude, you just got twenty two songs. It's a lot of songs on here. So when he said it was a playlist, this is the <laughs> and like this and this and this people who will, will say it's a playlist, and I'm like, okay, cool. That's funny, but okay, cool. I t- I asked him, tell me where you can buy a playlist. <laughs> go to no, go to Best Buy and show me the section or on the website where it says I can buy a playlist. Not Drake's playlist, some other playlist. Right. There is none. Once you sell it, first of all, once it's only you, <laughs> it stops being a playlist. Like once every song is basically you, it's like, oh, this is your album. This is okay. And then when you sell it, it becomes a product. Like when Drake tried to be like, oh, it's a mixtape. No, you sold it. It's original music. Like it's an album. Just stop. You're, you're not gonna change. It's like he doesn't want to change the game musically. He wants to change it in like these up these like um, arbitrary means. Like oh, I'm like I need to be the best virtuoso artist and I'm not trying to fit any mold it's like bruh just make the music stop trying to redefine things arbitrarily like let everybody else do let the let the the the, the media do that for you let the fans do that for you you don't gotta call it that kind of stuff and then try to make money off of it so it's like what's the point what's what's the point of calling it that 
Okay. I, it, it, mm. it, what I'm looking at with Drake, and we can talk a little bit more about the music, then I want to jump into some of the other music that came out. But oh, yeah. The, the thing that I find myself about Drake is you can go through this album right here, and there's usually about a three song stretch where you like, man, this is some cold shit. Mm. And you like, I want more and more of this. But then it's the momentum is so sudden <clears throat> with with just the change of pace. And it's not that the songs are bad because let's get it straight right now. Yeah. If you want to talk musically, more life is fire. Yep. It's some of yep. the best just curated music in one place I've heard in a while. I would definitely give it that. Yep. But all the usual Drake elements are there. Um, <clears throat> I don't really see. I'm guessing like I don't see the step. Like, what's the next big thing for Drake? I'm guessing he's just going to keep messing around with these pop songs. But I can't appreciate what Drake is doing all of the time. So let's not get that twisted. But there is just a lot of conflict when it comes to wanting to enjoy Drake in a certain way. And yeah, he's, he might throw us the, the, the old Jay-Z line, you want the old Drake, then go buy my old albums. <laughs> and I mean, he would technically be right. And there's nothing yeah. I can really say about it, but it still it still leaves just, you know, a, a, a bittersweet taste in the mouth. Yeah, because it, it's, it's bittersweet because of... A, a, a few reasons um, I feel, and I'm not sure. And you can you can back me, but not if you do. It's it's almost like I feel like the old guy, the old Drake, like died in a sense, and it's it, it, and it's because of the Ghost Ryan rumors. Like without the Ghost Ryan rumors, it would have been like, okay, where's the old Drake? Like why are you not rapping? Like why are you not rapping as much as you want? But maybe it's just a, a career choice. But then once you get to like. Seeing that, oh, there's a point in time when you, this is this this is attitude. Like I said before, this attitude where he said he didn't want no raps on views, where he keeps saying he might just he doesn't have to rap, make all that money. Like, and then the ghostwriting thing where he was like, I just want to make songs a real quick set of songs. It's like it's almost this this, this feeling of I just want to if it when it's rap, whatever. Let's just rush this. Let's get this through. Let's just get it done. And it's like there's not that same attention to detail like it used to be, where it was like. I, and I think that might be what it is. I don't think I don't think it's a it's necessarily he has different ghostwriters than he had before. I don't I never prescribe to the thought that Drake didn't write any of his raps ever. That's I don't think that I think I'm pretty sure that until his that mixtape is incident he was blacking out on shit yeah. bars everywhere like um Lord knows is one of the best Drake verses I've ever heard. Like it's remarkable what he did on that, but I feel like he just got tired. I feel like he got tired of trying to rap and trying to out, and like he saw that there's a, there's a ceiling to this shit. There's a ceiling to be because not for nothing, not feel him. There's a ceiling to being the best rapper. Yeah. Every, every every best rapper changes. Jay Z changed. Jay Z Jay Z said did 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 it with a throwback jersey and a fitted in 2001, and then two years later said. I don't wear a jersey. I'm 30 plus. Who the fuck were you two years earlier? Right. Like the same. You were the same guy. You was 30 plus then. It's because they at some point you you reach the plateau of being like I can't keep appealing to this 
hip hop crowd. And, and I don't, if, unless, if, especially if your heart isn't really like, I want to be just the best rapper. Like right. there's people who want to just be the best rapper, and they're like, I'm fine with that. But if you want to be more, I guess you, you just get tired of trying to really exert too much energy on one side of it, where the other side is getting you not not only is it getting you way more success. Like his singing songs mm-hmm. do way better than his rap songs. So oh, okay. not only that, of but it's just he's kind of. I feel him on that. I never I never thought about that until I talked to you right now, and I really never had that idea. So right now, but I kind of feel him. If that's the mentality, I kind of feel how he is, man. It's like, yo, I, I don't want to just be the best rapper. I don't even care about it no more. I, but then he says it, so it kind of confuses me. Like, what do you think? Right. Well, I'm, I'm gonna just close it out on this because what what you basically saying is what Jay Z did is the same thing that Diddy does. Uh, and I mean, if you want to even go into even more mainstream, uh, we can say talk about Steve Harp, and that's all about reinvention. You always changing up exactly what the flow is on how you getting down and you tend to get people to latch on to what you're doing is because you're always, you go from to Jay Z to Sean Carter, you know, to President Carter. Now mm-hmm. it's from Rockefeller. Now it's the rock. Now it's rock nation. You know, it's always mm-hmm. evolving, going nice. to the mm-hmm. next step. And Drake is following the blueprint. You know, it's all, it's art. Yes. <laughs> like that. So it's it's I see it's gonna be nothing but success for Drake from here on out because he know what he's doing. So I, I can't do nothing but respect. Let's uh let's talk about somebody that you're a big fan of, which is uh Shonda Rhimes. Uh yes. who I come on board with with how to get away with murder. I'm not that much in the scandal. It's I, it's not for me. You, you know, it is yeah. what it is, but I'm not gonna lie, she does do a good job of uh putting these shows together. Uh so yeah. I don't know, I just wanna get your opinion overall on the effect that she's had on television, uh, you know, from you know, blackish to, you know, Empire, uh uh even power and uh like you said even earlier, insecure. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You know, Shonda Rhimes is a TV powerhouse. I started with Shonda Rhimes from the beginning that I remember the pilot episode of Grey's Anatomy and I was hooked on that show. Um, I don't really watch Grey's Anatomy much anymore, but I I used to be like so addicted to, to Grey's Anatomy. And what actually attracted me to that show was finding out that the showrunner was a black woman, which was just like, whoa, Mm. wait a minute. Really? (laughs) Um, so I, I got hooked on Grey's Anatomy and then got hip to Shonda Rhimes. And now she's this empire powerhouse with scandal and how to get away with murder. And then she, at, for a short time, did private practice. Um, so what's great about what Shonda Rhimes is doing is she is not only creating diversity in front of the camera, she's also doing it behind right. the camera. Um, you know, scandal has had... Um, black female directors like Debbie Allen, Ava DuVernay, uh, Regina King. And that's pretty profound because a lot of TV shows and TV networks are unfortunately very white and very male. And they don't give a lot of women of color um, directors the opportunity to be behind the camera. And Shonda Rhimes is doing that. And, and I think that's appealing on so many levels to so many fans. Plus her, her work is very good. You know, it speaks for itself. She has very strong writing 
and story arcs and character development with her shows. And I'm with you. I actually put How to Get Away with Murder at the top. I, I'm still a Scandal fan. I still live tweet Scandal. But the big show that I'm looking forward to this fall is How to Get Away with Murder. And my favorite fictional character right now on TV is Annalise Keating from How to Get Away with Murder. So it's it's just phenomenal television. Yeah, she, <clears throat> Viola Davis is killing that part. She is yes. marking it all day, every day. I, I was... You know, I was familiar with her, but I was really blown away at the job that she did uh, on how to get away with murder. Uh, now, <clears throat> a few of these other shows. Uh, now, are you watching Empire? Yes, I do watch oh. Empire. Now, uh, mm-hmm. real quick, what's your opinion on that? I I feel like it's it's a little. Uh, I don't want to say corny. It's because it's a good show, uh, but I wish they would make the script a little bit tighter. I, I, that's that's might be my main complaint with it. I agree with you. I don't think it's on the same playing field as Shondaland <laughs> in terms of writing and story structure, but it's good, fun television. I equate Empire with Dynasty, you know, like primetime soap <clears throat> opera TV. Or even daytime soap opera, but you know, it gets a little raunchy at times, so maybe mm-hmm. primetime. But you know, I don't I don't take it too seriously because it can be very over the top, but that formula in fictional television has been that way for decades. So it works. And, you know, at times it does sometimes come off a little corny, but I accept that because I'm used to seeing that in soap operas. So it's a very soap opera like show as opposed to, something like how to get away with murder that's more parallel the lines of what's happening in today's news and it's very analytical and it's like a psychological thriller and it makes you think and it makes you guess and you know you're trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together with each case that Keating takes but how to get or excuse me but Empire is more like cat fights and (laughs) and bickering and you know, people having really messy lives. Um, so that's also fun TV as well. Yeah, that, I, I guess you could say that it's it's uh, entertainment. So you know, you just have to take it as it is. Uh, <clears throat> right. Now, uh, excuse me. Now, if I could talk, I probably could ask my next question. Um, <laughs> now, where are you at with? Uh, I guess you watching Power in uh in a uh, Blackish too. I'm not watching Power because I don't have uh. stars. Um, I know, I know. You know what? I I did have it for like they had a free weekend thing, and I watched Power. Um, I don't even think it was the first episode. It was like several episodes in, and it didn't catch me. Um, but I think that's just because I didn't watch it from the beginning. Um, so yeah, I have not been watching Power. Blackish, yes, I have been watching Blackish. Great sitcom. I love the issues that they t- take on. Very bold. Um, and I was honored to be able to interview the kids from Blackish earlier, um, you know, this year with my podcast. But uh, yeah, it, it, it it's a great show to watch, and it's really funny. And I hope we get to see more of Larry Fishburne's character because 
he's like one of my favorite characters on that show. Oh yeah, um, and he's been MIA for a while. So yes, yeah, uh, they got a pretty good cast. I, I like how they uh, put that one together. Uh, now you say you had the kids on from the show. How was that? Oh, it was great. Um, I was able to wrangle together. Um, oh gosh, I am so horrible with names. Like I can remember everything else, but people's names, I'm so bad. So, um, both the the two twins I had on the show, and then um, Marcus Scribner who plays Andre, um, and Yahira Shahidi uh, who plays I think her name's Zoe. She wasn't able to come on the show. So I had three of the four kids on the show. And it was great. Um, very charming. Very charismatic. Very good interviewees. You know, it wasn't something where they were scared or, you know, intimidated by the questions and answered a question with like three sentences or something. Um, or three words, I should say. They actually had really good, long, um, long-winded answers. And, and they were funny. And it, and it and it was a great great uh podcast interview. So, yeah, that that was a lot of fun fun to do and it, it was a good opportunity. It, you know, I'm very thankful for Twitter because Twitter is what helps me connect with a lot of folks and um they had followed me. All of the kids from Blackish followed oh, me on wow. Twitter. Okay. Yeah. And, well, that's uh, it. I, I must say that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the whole dirty glove Three one three Detroit Detroit podcast, um, and uh, shout out to my boy Jalen Rose who also shouted out uh, my boy Draymond Green from the SAG. So uh, good looking out on all y'all. Now I want to talk about um, you know you say you went to Jackson State. That's in Alabama, right? Uh, Mississippi, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. Oh yeah, I'm thinking about the other one. I, um, all right, so you say you you went there for journalism, and uh, you know, then I'm guessing, did you get to the AJC right from there? No, I went to, I went to Jackson, um, you know, for college and, and I studied and, you know, while I was there, I was studying. I also worked at the Clarion Ledger, which is a daily, large daily newspaper in Mississippi. Um, so from my second year of school on, I worked at the paper and, you know, finished up my, my books and um, stayed there and worked at at the Clarence Ledger after graduation for a few years, and then I went to the Indianapolis Star and worked there for five years, and then I came to the from Indianapolis to the AJC in 2005. So um, I had some other stops in between. I also interned in some places. I lived in Cleveland, um, in Poughkeepsie, New York, and you know made the rounds a little bit before I made my way here to uh, Atlanta. Okay. All right. So. Uh Let's talk about the ATL. I'm going to talk about the Hawks a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And then I also want to ask you a little bit about your current job, too. Um, now, you came in, you said 2005. That's uh, that whole Joe Johnson, Josh Smith, um, well, I guess experiment um, that kind of <laughs> just landed the Hawks in, I guess, forever mediocrity. I, I just, I said, you know, around 2008, 2009. They're not going to get any farther. Blow it up. Um, but I don't really want to talk X's and O's. I kind of want to talk more about uh, what it was like to cover the Hawks. Um, I just recently heard um, a podcast on True Hoop TV mm-hmm. uh, with Marcus Thompson, who currently is, is the beat writer for the Warriors. And um, he said he, ref- he referred to you 
um, when y'all were both in the locker room at the same time as, you know, the Hawks calling y'all the hip-hop sports reporters because <laughs> they had two brothers in the locker room at the same time. Um, so, like, you know, how have things changed since then? And kind of, like, tell me a little bit about that time period. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I missed that. Mark's one of my uh, good friends over the years here, you know, in the business, obviously, and doing a fantastic job out of the Bay Area. Um, so I got to go back and listen to that. But, it, you know, man, it's it's a strange dynamic. You know, there was a time early in my career when, you know, the, you cover a team that's, you know, trying to rise up the ranks and get out of the, you know, the lottery mix every year. And those guys you mentioned, Josh Smith, Josh Childress, Joe Johnson, all those guys, I, I don't associate associate them with mediocrity so much. I associate them as the guys who kind of dug the Hawks out of that hole, out of that stretch of a decade where they weren't in the playoffs. They got them into the playoffs and into a streak that's going, you know, working on eight years now, which is the longest in the Eastern Conference, second longest in the league behind San Antonio. Um, So I have a different perspective on on those guys. I I happen to look at them as the guys who helped the Hawks turn the corner. And, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's when you're a young black male covering the NBA, you walk into a locker room with a with a calling card that you can use in a positive way or not. You know, you got to go in there and be a professional um, and make sure you take serious the obligation to be a historian, you know, uh, of this thing. I, I've always felt working in newspapers and obviously in the digital world now that, you know, you're not just up there writing or talking about this stuff. You know, you have to be responsible with what you say, how you say it, and and be respectful of the fact that this is going to be stuff a part of recorded history for not only yourself, but for these players, these organizations, and the general public. You know, so you that's where the tenets of what we learn in school about journalism to me become extremely important. The accuracy, the accountability, you know, and, and the general understanding of how to do this job and do it properly. Okay. Now, out of that whole um, era, you know, out of the, like, you know, Josh Smith and all those guys, like, who enjoyed Atlanta the most? Because, you know, the the A is notorious for its gentleman establishments and, you know, very vibrant nightlife. Um, You know, even Dominique, you know, said that he had a club at one time where he used to be the best host uh, for opposing players and basically, he could see the fatigue on their faces the next day. Um, so, like, out of that camp, who kind of, like, loved Atlanta the most? You think, I, I mean, are you asking out of the players on that Hawks team? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it was different. For Josh Smith, it's, it's unique, you know, being from here. Oh, yes. Um, I think there were some inherent pressures on him that the other guys didn't have to deal with. And that might have you know, curbed his enthusiasm to enjoy his hometown as an adult and as a young man the way he really could someplace else. Uh, um, Because when you get away from home, obviously, you're not bound by, you know, the restrictions of, hey, you know, everybody knows your name, your story, your history. Uh, um, You may run into people that, even in a city this, you know, this size, a metropolitan area, this magnitude, six million people, whatever it is now, um, you know, there's some familiarity there with the public and yourself that doesn't allow you the freedoms that a guy like, say, Marvin Williams, who comes all the way from Seattle, goes to North Carolina and comes here, or Josh Children, who comes all the way from L.A., 
goes to Stanford, comes to the you know Atlanta and the Hawks. Um, you know, I would say that this is a city and a situation tailor made for a lot of those guys, but nobody uh, more so than Marvin Williams. You know, and he was the guy obviously who was drafted a couple years later um, into that era, that Billy Knight era when Billy was running the franchise. And you know, this was a chance for Marvin to experience a city that's completely different from Seattle. My best friend um, is from Seattle and is the assistant bullet. Rainier Beach High School where Jamal Crawford, Nate Robinson, a lot of guys who have played in the NBA um, are from. And I've been out there and spent expensive time. In, and this, this is a, a culturally, it's a world away from Atlanta. So to see Marvin Williams come here as a teenager, basically, he's 19 years old, you know, 20 years old, when he got his toes wet in this town um, was really interesting and intriguing because it was culture shock and a shell shocking of for a guy who really, you know, at his age and with his temperament was was not maybe ready for what Atlanta can do to you at that age, you know, at that stage of your life. So it was but I think all of those guys enjoyed it tremendously, man. This Atlanta to me gets a bad rap as a being a bad sports town and front running fans. It's front running fans everywhere. It's fans all over the country who only want to come out when their team is rolling. Um but there are a lot of people here who live and die with the Hawks and with these sports teams around Atlanta. And I've lived here long enough to know the difference between true diehard fans and, and Fairweather fans. And there are plenty of both here, just like there are everywhere else. So want to hit on this one thing I keep seeing pop up on Twitter, my news feed, all over the place. And it, at first, I, I thought it was like a villain from uh, a 101 Dalmatians movie, but it was actually Donald Trump. Um, what do you think about Donald Trump? I am, um, and I think I've always. I mean, well, let me say that I'm over. I'm one of the few people. Okay, go ahead. Let me, yeah, let me ask that over. What do you think about Donald Trump's impact on this year's election? On the one hand, I think Donald Trump is like exactly what our country deserves. I think he's exactly <laughs> what this is exactly where all, all the, you know, rhetoric on the one side, all the racism, all that stuff is where it leads. Like he is the candidate that Republicans and conservatives in this country deserve. But on the, on the other hand, I don't want, like, I don't want him coming close enough to the election to actually have a, be a threat to it. Because that's, you know, that's terrifying. That to me is like, we would be right in 1984, one of those books about, you know, the future, one of those future books where all the black people are, have disappeared. Or in, <laughs> yeah, but like, this is terrifying to me. And I think folks are trying, and I think folks are scared too, but they want to like, oh, he's not going to win. He's not serious. So they don't, they, they, they try to basically cast a blind eye, look away whenever he's doing stuff. I think that enables him and serious people are saying, I'm not going to cover it. I'm not going to, I'm going to cover it as entertainment. I'm just going to look the other way, but they're going to be sitting there looking like, Oh damn, what was I supposed to do when he actually is a nominee? And then what? You're going to have a lot of people basically pissing on themselves 
and uh, they're gonna be hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a mess, and it is weird because nobody else from the Republican Party is actually standing out. Like nobody has anything really relevant to say or even interesting. You know, you got one candidate who you can't even really find right now. Yeah, I mean, so Rick Perry just dropped out. Uh, Bobby Jindal is actually, to me, a wor- like a worse candidate. Where is um, he? He he does he, he is not invited to any of the debates <laughs> because he, he hasn't polled over one percent yet. Uh, but he's in a, he's in a Twitter beef right now with Donald Trump. If you want to go on Twitter and see it, but see, yeah, I've been blacked out for a couple of days. <laughs> Yeah, but he hasn't really been anywhere in real life, just Twitter. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, man, I know when I see Donald Trump, like you said, it's, it's, it's what America deserves. But what do you think about the people who like the fact that he's just saying stuff? Well, uh, to me, the scary thing is, like, t- the bad part about... Not bad, but one of the bad parts about the Obama presidency is it reawoken, reawakened some stuff we thought we had buried in this country. You know, I, I think people were very happy giving black folks a little space as long as it didn't, you know, interfere too much to what they had going mm-hmm. on. You know, we, we cool. You can do all those things. We still got the power, but now we got a black president putting in black officers and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> and now they're like, okay, so clearly we got to get back to what we were doing before. So y'all, y'all are doing a little too much. So we, we got to go back to how it was. So, and now like, you see a lot of those folks who, you know, Donald Trump is saying what they have had in their hearts but couldn't say because of political correctness. And it shows to me that, like, racism and all those things and xenophobia and, you know, how much folks hate immigrants and how much folks hate uh, gay, transgender, lesbian, uh, queer, bisexual folks. Like, that, it shows me those things actually haven't changed as much as we want to believe. And Donald Trump is popular now because he's saying all those things that, were they didn't fall out of conversation because people stopped feeling them, feeling them. They, they came out of conversation because they were like taboo. So Donald Trump is breaking taboo on, I believe, a half of the country actually thinks. So that's, to me, like the, the scariest part about him. Mm. So it's, it's basically bringing back some of that back of the mind stuff to the forefront. Yep, pretty much. Mm. Pretty much. Mm. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I, I, I can't wait. <laughs> this, this, this is, this is almost, I'm trying to think, uh, where could I put this at? Like that time between when Jay-Z dissed Nas at Summer Jam and when Ether came out. So I'm like, what's going to happen on the end? I'm just anticipating the backlash of whatever happens next. Yeah, I am getting ready to, uh, you know, I'm just going to have a flight ready just in case, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, speaking of hip-hop, though, 
I heard on a previous podcast a couple things about your music taste. And I recently just had uh, a podcast, you know, really it was mainly focused around um, the whole Meek Mill Drake beef. And one of the things we also got into on that podcast was this last Future album. Now, I will give you some credit because you did go to Morehouse. So I felt like you probably did get enough exposure to understand a little bit more future than the average person. Uh, because it is a requirement that you actually have to be in Atlanta for at least six months to understand half of what future saying. Um, <laughs> that should be the disclaimer on it, but they never put it on there. I don't know why. Um, but you seem to have some, some varying taste in music. Now, why are you liking Future and why are you hating J. Cole so much? So I think people misconstrue, misconstrue what I feel about J. Cole is hate. I don't hate J. Cole. And I think I grade on a curve. So to me, I grew up, I'm an, again, I'm a Carolinian. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, okay. And that's, that's... the new, the news that Cole went platinum to me, like I celebrated. Like, I'm, I'm hyped that we got an artist that's coming out, doesn't have to sell out and can do his thing. And go platinum. Like, when's the last time a Carolina rapper went platinum? Has it ever happened? But I don't know. Hey, Pete I, mean, I, I don't think Pete no. Pablo went platinum, and I don't think Lil Brother ever went platinum. And they so, won't let him go platinum. Like, that's I'm excited about that, and I, I, I've listened to Cole since the the come up, since the warm up, uh, since he's putting out tapes before he got you know signed to Rock Nation. So, like, I'm a J. Cole supporter. Now, as to his music, I think his music has... This is what I was trying to say, and I don't think I said it very well okay. on the podcast. There's a level of corniness to it to me that, that mm. annoys me. And I... To me, it's okay, you know, when you're a 19-year-old rapper coming out and you've got corny bars or whatever, because, you know, I, I was corny when I was 19. I get it. But I think I sort of grew up with J. Cole, and J. Cole hasn't grown up. And that's mm. what gets me about his music. And it, it, it's, clear, it's totally biased because I grade him more harshly than other rappers. Because I want to see him, you know, be like everything we hope for from, the, from North Carolina. But I still think it's legit. Like, there's Kendrick Lamar, for example, has grown a lot since his first album, uh, since his first mixtape. Yeah. Um, future hasn't grown well he's grown he's actually had a lot of real life stuff he talks about but he's you know a, i think i also distinguish between people who do make who don't make any bones about being terrible people uh and, and folks who are making like more conscious music and i want to see those conscious artists really grow and start to think about things from a broader perspective and i don't see that cole has been getting there hasn't been he hasn't been exhibiting the growth expected out of him so that that's that's it for me okay all right i see what you're saying and that that definitely makes a lot of sense i i do agree that his music hasn't matured probably at the rate you would think it he would but like he's 30 now and he's 30 is like well he's about 30 he's, he's older than me so let me see i think he's like 30 though he's like 29 I had no idea J. Cole was 30, man. You are breaking news to me. 
Let, let me see how old he is. He, I know he's a couple years older than me, so he's got to be like 29 at least. I, I got to know that for sure before I say anything. Yeah, you're right, bro. He is 30. Yeah, he's 30. Oh, wow. He turned 30 this year. Like, and I'm like, dog, like, you still rapping about the same things you were rapping about on the come up, which happened eight years ago. We were 22. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, that does change things a little bit. But my thing is with him, I'm thinking he's almost kind of stuck where he's at until some like the producer has to unlock him. You know, I don't yeah. I don't think J. Cole will unlock himself because he's doing what made him successful. And it's honestly who he is in his conscience. But as far as him want, like needing to grow musically, he would have to do uh like an album with Pharrell or, you know, Kanye or something like, you know, one of them type of albums, you know, when you, uh, you get that, that consistency of the, the quality from song to song and it's, and it's really showing, you know, that next level music, like, you know, almost when like TI did TI versus TIP. To me, that was yeah. the change for him. That was one of his musically, uh, best albums that he ever did. And it was the, the Just Blaze kind of being through out the whole album and you could tell like this was crafted you know j cole is just going in the studio with beats is is what it seems like yeah and so j cole does a lot of his own production and i think that i like j cole's production in, in small doses but i don't think he he has what it takes to carry his own sound for a whole album and i think to his credit he's he's realized that has been doing more outside producers but what i like to see is an eight song tape EP with him with no ID on the boards. There you like, go. To me, that would be dope. Like, he just free to, you know, get a couple, get some budgets in there for some samples because that's one of the things that's really killed a lot of his sound to me is they don't, you know, they don't have the, 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 the budget to put samples or like, like stuff. So it's like J. Cole makes an original beat with the drum kit. And J. Cole sings the hook. And J like it's like he's a one, one man band, but I think he would do a lot better with people helping. Exactly. And, you know, it was kind of the same thing with Kanye. You know, yeah. I, I mean, of course, College Dropout, one of the best albums of all time, let alone debuts. Uh, but you could kind of tell going into late registration, he was a little too much in his own head. And then that's when you see. Uh, graduation when he started bringing in other folks to make beats for him, it it came together. Yeah, and graduation is my favorite content. So, yep. <laughs> so th that that's totally true, man. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know, man. I'm I'm just I'm in the J Cole because I feel uh, somewhat, I guess, connected because. I'm trying to think, how could I put this? Like, cause I rap, like I write music. Mm. It's something I've did forever. I kind of put it to the side because I want to do podcasts and a little bit of blogging. And, you know, I started my own business, uh, had kids, all that different stuff. Uh, but, you know, I still get the itch and I see that my role is more as a songwriter because I just got in the studio, uh, with a couple cats and, you know, had a song for him and, you know, it was coming out pretty dope. But 
I, J. Cole is kind of like, like who I would be as a rapper if I would actually put everything into what, you know, music was. Uh, so I feel a little, a little bit more connected with him. Like you said, I kind of grew up with him too. Uh, and he was right there. He was lyrical, you know, talked about stuff in a smart way and wasn't dumb about what was going on around him. And I guess that still just comes across to me. And I'm, it's like, as long as I get a little bit of some of that, what I guess that caught in that nostalgia, I kind of just keep rocking with it. I, I, yeah, I, I feel it. And I, that I bought, uh, Forest Hill Drive and I listened to it pretty often minus no role models which i don't like but I, I don't like no role models. How do you not uh, like that song? i don't i don't think it's a good song and it, it's it's people be try, keep trying to convince me that it is and i just you know, i don't feel it but everybody has their own, own little taste right but yeah, you really to me it's feature. like if you gotta if you have a brother that's in the game right and and i think you always gonna, gonna you know always be connected to him i was gonna support his work but I think I always grade people harder when I do have that connection. So that's what to me is, is I, I want to see him be like the greatest J. Cole that I think can happen. And I don't think he's been trending towards that. That's all, all it is. So are you basically saying he is the Carmelo of the rap game? That That is a great comparison. He could be Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, from your... Years of experience. Who do you think should be, or whom? How many people do you think should be responsible for the anthem for the Falcons in the Super Bowl? This is their first. This is the first Super Bowl since the Falcons, since Atlanta has been unquestionably the king of hip hop. Unquestionably, that is first true. Super Bowl since then. So, who do you think? What collection? What arrangement of artists? Who's producing it? Is, is Metro on a beat? Are, are we hanging up? You know, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know who's on the beat. Now who's I really, play? I thought you was gonna ask me something different. <laughs> you know, because there's a couple underlying storylines, and I'm gonna get back to that oh, in a second because I'm actually kind of pondering that right now. But I, I thought you were gonna ask me who was gonna win the strip club battle. When everybody from Atlanta heads to Houston, because we all know these are the top two ranked strip club cities in America and possibly the entire world. What was my question? Let's go to that. All right, let's talk about that. I did not know that this was a battle of the strip club. <laughs> right. And then here's another thing that I don't think nobody realizes. Not only is Atlanta in the Super Bowl, so that means we got a lot of stuff coming into Houston. And then, like, within a week, the All-Star game is in New Orleans. Oh, So it's like, if you really wanted to, like, all the thoughts could probably just get on a train and just <laughs> keep it moving for the next two weeks. <laughs> and it's going to be nothing but money in the air. Because you best believe in Houston, the ballers is going to be there. New Orleans, the ballers is going to be there. And everybody is looking for a come up. Yo, I am now that you mentioned that, now that you mentioned that, and the Falcons are in the Super Bowl, and people are gonna go to Houston, which is already a pretty is pretty entrenched in the hip hop culture and the pimping culture, so they flashy and stuff like that. 
I'm thinking, this is just me, this is just me. I'm thinking that there could be some stripper on stripper fighting. Because here's what I've and here's what I've noticed. Okay, so speculate. Here's what I've been in a strip club. My wife, only twice. Um, both times was Tootsie's out of Miami. Shout out to Tootsie's. All right. The legal right. establishment. I didn't see any strippers fight, but I heard, like, over here, you know, why the, you know, the half naked waitresses are walking around and serving <laughs> you chicken fingers and shit. I heard him talking about, like, how Little Wayne came one time and he was putting out so much money, these chicks was fighting over the cash. Ooh. Now that's just Little Wayne. Right. One, one person. What's going to happen? When the Super Bowl rolls around and Future's in one corner, Little Wayne's in the other corner, Rick Ross is over there, Drake is somewhere filling up on JLo. What's going to happen <laughs> when at one time these TI is going to be there trying to get a new wife? What's going to happen when at one time these guys start throwing stacks? Like, I mean, like 401k kind of stacks and shit. What's so going to so happen? So retiring yeah. strippers in this bitch. <laughs> this could be the re- yo. Do you think women are gonna become strippers just for the Super Bowl? Because it's gonna be, it's gonna I be mean, that big of a look, come up. Because look, I, I ain't gonna lie. Like, I'll, I'm glad you said that because there are a lot of freelance strippers in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they're not full time. They have regular jobs. They do other stuff. But when the cu- when the time comes, they will freelance and get them in a couple dances at a party somewhere. Trust How can me. you can you spot can you spot a woman who's a freelance like stripper? Because you can you can, okay. Please, everybody, this is not this. None of these are views of digital trends or my <laughs> <laughs> or my mama. However, I need to say, I'm not saying you can tell who's a stripper, but. There's certain contextual clues that kind of reveal it. One being, for some reason, you're coming home at four o'clock in the morning right. wearing glitter on your face. That's just that's just the most that, that's obvious people. shit. But I, I I know what you're saying. It's like in a crowd, could you spot one of these freelancers? Freelance could you spot a freelancer? Now, what I will say is, you can't in certain environments. You can't. Because mm-hmm. if you at, you know, like a private party, you know, it's like, oh, she does this. She do this all the time. And then the other ones is kind of like, well, she look like she's been doing this every once in a while. And she just ain't really got super comfortable in her skin, but she's out here just doing it. So there, there is something to that. But for the most part, bro, it's, it's like it's in you. Either it's in you or it's not. Mm-hmm. Now. <sighs> She really just got to this point where we're finding out after, you know, some bronzer, some wigs, um, that her parents outed her. Um, uh-huh. I want to ask you about that, but really I want to know is how was she able to like fool so many people? Is it just her actions? Now, uh, my favorite ESPN host, um, actually said he, he referenced a picture where um, she was standing on the rail and you could kind of see her backside. Um, and I think he said that, uh, that might have been one thing that they just kind of assumed that she was black after that. Um, and 
I think that might be a reason why a lot of these black men are coming out to defend her. Uh, but tell me what. So, yeah, like, how does she how is she able to just pull that off so easily? Well, you know, uh, to, to make light of it, you know, I think that one of the uh, the comments that I saw on Twitter that I thought was really um, you know, we all need a little bit of humor in this to keep ourselves, you know, um, sort of hopeful and, and not like slip dangerously into like anger or frustration. And so someone on Twitter said, you know, it's amazing how loyal her hairstylist was because <laughs> she's known all along. Right. So I think that, you know, we, 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 one of the things, the beautiful thing about black people, and I have to say this, and again, we're not a, a homogenous group. There's a significant heterogeneity. We're not all alike. We don't all think alike. But I'm, as a collective group, I have to say that forgiveness, forbearance, welcoming people, um, acceptance is something that we pride ourselves in. And I think we do because we have such a history of being marginalized and ostracized and mistreated and uh, violently assaulted on the basis of our skin color that we open our doors and our arms to people when they show up. We wouldn't dare, um, you know, sort of push someone out, not as a collective group on the basis of, you know, some identity characteristic. So I think she was able to pull it off because we, we believe what we see. And I think that she presented herself in a way that, you know, made it less likely that people would question it. And we, again, accept people who accept us. I think that there is a deep-seated need to be wanted and loved and respected and to have our humanity validated. And that's based on years of systematic oppression and, um, and, and also bias. So when someone shows up and they say, I love you, and not only do I love you, I want to work on your behalf, and I believe in the plight of your, your people, and, and they align ourselves, they align themselves with us, we are, we, we open our doors. And we saw that, um, sadly happen in Charleston. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's just a reality. And that's a deeper conversation about the, the remnants of systematic oppression and what it does to people who are marginalized. Like what it, what, what can happen, you know, to your psyche when you have waited? It's like a, a love hunger. You waited so long for someone to show up and say that they, they love and value you that when people do, we're just so excited to see that. And so, um, so, so pleased that people find us acceptable that we, we just, we open our doors and our arms. And I think that that's, that's a beautiful thing, but it also um, has some unintended consequences. It certainly does. And I'm, I'm going to ask you about what happened in Charleston um, after we finished with Rachel. Um, but man, that, I'm going to have to find that tweet and I'm going to have to throw that one on, on the uh, show notes because that one is a perfect uh, description of somebody who's being loyal. Uh, when you doing this girl hair, and you know, all along, she got blonde roots. You know that she's not black. So shout out to whoever that chick is. Um, real ride or die. Um, now, um, like when I, after I seen her, her sister Esther, I kind of, uh -huh. I almost felt like she kind of wanted to be hurt a little bit. And because she had the, the natural hair doing the afros and I was like, huh, I, I wonder if that was something to do with it. Now, is it the fact that she got up close and personal with the, the actual black female psyche 
uh, and <clears throat> I want to ask you that and also uh, to piggyback on it like kind of uh, just give me like where does this fit uh, in the black female psyche of course you being one yourself well I mean it's really impossible for you to masquerade as a black woman if you're not one I mean it's just and and that's because you know race even though um it, you know as we uh, in our history the meaning and significance of it has 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 shifted we do know that race um w- was a tool for social categorization that was based on physical appearance and um and assumed biology but rich really resulted in certain social access and privileges and also social marginalization of groups so you can as as and I want to talk about that first and then I'll speak more specifically to your question. The issue here is that, you know, as we're talking about whether or not can, someone can, you know, become a black woman just by saying it, I think that it's a ludicrous assumption because we know that what's tied to people's racial and gender identity is a history of experience. People develop identities based on experiences and social transactions. And had Rachel, you know, there, and again, there is a history within our nation and within our history, um, our culture of passing. So black women, men passing as white, um, and even some folks passing as Native Americans when they want to assume a certain amount of, 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 um, respect and, and assumed authenticity. So that's that idea that race is, um, socially constructed is is true, and it and I think it it also backs up this idea that Rachel can't just get to know a black woman, study African American study, you know, uh, history, and then certainly, uh, you know, now have garnered enough insight and information to then live the life as a black woman, right? Because at any moment, I mean, the reality here is at any moment she can take off her wig. She can stop darkening her, her, her skin and she can slip right back into, to, to, you know, into, into a white identity. And that speaks volumes to the idea that it's, she can't just get close to learn more about black women and become one. That's just, that's just not how it works. I'm a big fan of the comedy films and I'm kind of sad that the black comedy film is an automatic B movie every time it comes out. True that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you have at this point Kevin Hart um, attached to it, and Eddie Murphy's films are always so hit and miss. Chris and Rock's Chris Rock's films are so hit and miss. Um, but you're right. You're right. They are definitely like straight to Netflix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Type joints when it's a black comedy. Yeah, and I'm I'm just I'm missing the. I don't know, just the combination that we used to get back in the day. Cause you look at, you know, movies like Players Club and, you know, Friday and, yeah. you know, you see all of the hot comedians of the time in the same movie. You know, yeah. you don't really get that too much anymore. It's like, you know, now that the, the rule is definitely in place where you just have the one hot black comic at one time and somehow like Mike Epps got bumped. Uh, and right now, <laughs> I still don't understand how that happened, but, uh, I see he, like, he's doing this thing on Twitter. And, uh, he really killed him. So I'm, I'm hoping, I see he's doing a, uh, he's doing a show on ABC now. 
So, uh, okay. man, I can't think of the name of it, but uh, it's Uncle Buck. That's the name of it. Oh, I heard about that, that they okay. were remaking Uncle Buck. with. Yeah. With so, yeah, they got Mike Epps in that, and that's going to be on ABC. I think that's going to be a good look with Blackish. I'm a... Uh, uh, I'm getting into Blackish now. I got my Hulu subscription. I'm I've been binging on it because I hadn't watched it that much. That I say ABC, uh, they got a thumbs up from I guess this side of the black fence. Yeah, and I have to give it up. Give it up to Mike Epps. He was recently in that HBO movie with Queen Latifah, Bessie. Bessie, and he was. Good. I seen that. Yeah, he was. He was good. And like you mentioned Friday, because this was the this is what the twentieth anniversary, mm-hmm. I believe so, of Friday. And so you know, we were talking. We, you and I, Chris, always had these conversations about Chris Tucker. We just like lament his. I don't want to say fall from grace. That's not it. But just nah, he just never his choice to kind of just exit the scene. He did right. like a few movies. Um, like I loved him in uh, the Fifth Element, playing that uh whatever that character was. It was like, oh, he's playing somebody different. Somebody strange. But he never, you thought he was going to be, he was going to blow up. And he did a few films and was kind of like, all right, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And you're like, wow, like, really? Like, I thought he'd do Rush. I mean, he hit with Rush Hour. And I knew, you know, that franchise was going to continue. But you thought he'd continue on to do more films. Right, because you thought he had crossed over once he did that. Right. Yeah, he had this access, but it never turned out that way. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm somebody gonna have to sit him down and really like get into what happened there because that's you know we had Chris Tucker, and then I say that's a parallel to like what happened with Dave Chappelle. So it's like, what's going on with these comedians? They get super hot, and then all of a sudden, nothing. Something happens with people when they get to be really really popular in entertainment and we see it all the time you know like you said chris tucker dave chappelle although chappelle said exactly what it was that happened to him lauren hill um it's something happens when an artist has that it factor and i don't know if they are walked into a room and offered the red pill versus the blue pill and i I don't know (laughs) what happens but something happens, and for those that are of conscious minds, they tend to to back away from whatever the circumstances are. Because Chris Tucker, Chris Tucker would have been the next Eddie Murphy. He'd have been making films every year. Yeah, because yeah. what's him doing Rush Hour was that, oh, maybe we can put him in an action movie. Mm-hmm. He could have been the next Eddie Murphy, you're right. And it just never panned out that way. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little disappointed how some of these things could have probably grown into something bigger because, uh, you know, we don't really have those, those like comedy houses kind of, uh, you know, where the one guy gets on, gets hot. And then he kind of puts all his friends in his movies like Adam Sandler or, uh, Seth Rogen. And, uh, you know, so every time they get a project, you going to see the same five, six dudes. We, I don't know. Right. Right. I don't know if that's something that, that Kevin Hart is is trying to do at any point, but I've been hearing a few things about how other comedians view Kevin Hart, and I think that might be one of the problems. Is he just focused on himself? Is that, and then uh, uh, I say some of them are even saying he's overrated. Uh, 
is at least because I like some of his bits and especially I think just cause it's the YouTube age and people just, you know, swallow the, the few bits at a time. But, you know, I, I done watched Kevin Hart a few times. He, he, all right. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. he doing, he's not a powerhouse on stage to me. And I've seen a couple of his films. He's funny, but yeah. he's not, I'm trying to think. Well, like the first time I saw Chris Tucker do stand up was just to let you know how long ago that was. It was Showtime at the Apollo. Taking and, it back. Yeah, he was the guest comedian. But you talk was it no, was it no no no. It was Showtime at the Apollo. It was, was when Mark man? Lawrence Oh had his had his comedy the show. First Amendment. Yeah. Hey. The First Amendment stand up. And he was so funny. Like the I think I know I was crying by the end of his set. Him and then who's the dude who I like now who's just D-Ray. crazy? D-Ray. D-Ray. D-Ray Davis, I think, is is somebody who can just stand up there and probably just off the top just say some foolishness. And he's really, really funny. As where Kevin Hart is a combination of his gesticulations and talking funny and I don't know. But I, I get what you're saying when you say he's just all right. Like he's he's not a powerhouse comedian on stage. Not to me. No, he's yeah, he has his he has what he does that is real funny. And then in his movies, he's playing, he's doing that character. Yeah. So it works, but you feel like once that particular character gets old, mm-hmm. what's going to happen to him? Yeah. He's milking it now. You know what I mean? I think he recognizes he has a shelf life. I don't think anybody would say that Kevin Hart is the next Eddie Murphy. I don't think he has that kind of power, and I think he knows it. So he's going to pimp this for as much as he can get out of it for as long as he's hot. I think he's milking the Hollywood because I remember him when he used to do, like, he used to be kind of in those little spoof movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paper Soldiers. and Like, I think uh, it was a scary movie. I think it was the one they did a spoof on, like... um, Narnia and all that, and he would be the black dude in there, you mm-hmm. know. And then, of course, you know, he made it so much that people forgot that he was in Soul Plane, but he did all these little okay parts. And I think once he hit it, he was like, I'm taking, I'm milking this right now because mm-hmm. I worked so hard and was like, nothing. Mm-hmm. Now that I got this shine, let me just take it now because I understand, like, 15 minutes. They gonna they'll find another comedian. Exactly. So let me cash in while I'm hot. Exactly. I don't, which I don't blame him. Right. Yeah. You can't can't be mad at the hustle. I, and now that you said that, I didn't had like two small epiphanies about Kevin Hart. For one, that just shows you the grind was always going to be Hollywood. You know, it never was to really kill on stage. But you know, that's just a byproduct of you know him doing good on a couple of the tapes. Now, I'll say this about his style is that he's only good if you're watching him on video. And if you look at most of the older comedians, they had to be good on tape where you had to listen to them and they would be having them on records. So you you have to to get a lot of his jokes and for it to really be funny and have the impact. You got to be looking at Kevin Hart. You got to see him. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's physical comedy. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of the things that when you talk about people who really be crafting jokes, 
you know, that's kind of the style that they take. It's like if somebody was just hearing this, would they find it funny? And that's why you say somebody like D-Ray, he get on stage and he just smashing because all you got to do is listen to him. He about makes me sick every single time. And I mean sick with laughter. Like, I'm just like, he is a fool. Yeah. He's done a couple shows. I know mm-hmm. he has some show on MTV. So he's he's slowly climbing up that ladder of getting his name out there. And he's been, you know, he had his little moment in uh, uh, Empire. So he's, he's slowly, like, gaining some, some shine. Yeah, because he's been grinding at it for a while. Mm-hmm. It used to be a brother back in the day named Talent, who I thought was really, really funny. I don't know what's happened to him. Oh, that was my dude. Yeah, I loved Talent. He was so funny and he was really popular there in, in like the, I remember him being in a couple of music videos too. He was, he was in with the sort of, you know, 90s hip hop. Um, and I guess he probably is still working, but it's just, it, I guess there's probably a, a nice chitlin circuit of black comedians out there and it's just only so there's only a few that are going to get in and it's funny we had a conversation at one of the breaks and we were talking about chris rock and one of the sisters who was here is a publicist and we were talking about how come he doesn't pull people up more or he was i guess in his movie the the top top five five. it's speaking about trying to pull people up and bring them with you or or, or there's some element of his staff or black. Yeah, but mm-hmm. in real life, that's not how he gets down. He all of his handlers are white folks. And so the the sister was saying, you know, I don't know how he's putting this movie out where he's surrounded by this, you know, village of black folks that support him as a comedian. <laughs> but in real life, that's not how he gets down. He's not trying to pull anybody up, not a publicist, not an assistant, you know what I'm saying? He's he's not trying to work with anybody to get them to his level. You right. know, and um, he was kind of like he probably does, but not to that extent. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he's for comedians. I mean, he really hit that mark where he made him like, all right, he's a next level comedian, and Chappelle hit that. So I think for our generation, I guess hosts Martin Lawrence. Yeah, it would be them too. Yeah, you know, he's. I know Chris Rock's movies and stuff may not have been. That great, but his, you know, he works at his stand up, and you can tell. Yeah, oh, he yeah. studies. Yeah, he be killing that. That uh, killed a messenger. Yeah, he smashed yeah. that one. Yeah, that's a well thought out, planned comedy mm-hmm. routine. He's not shooting from the hip. I'm sure he has moments of of improving, but overall, yeah. he knows exactly where that show is starting and where yeah. it's ending. And even with Chappelle, you know, him kind of making a few movies here and there. I forgot his one stint that he did in DC, which was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And then he did the the Chappelle show, and he cashed in on them DVD sales. I think at the time it was like the biggest selling DVD series, and I think he was pocketing almost all of that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he just, you know, I know people who have, you know, feelings on some of them skits on the Chappelle show, but you know, he was saying some stuff too. Yeah. It got to a point where I think they asked him to go past the point he wasn't comfortable with. Yeah. Woof. That's that heat right there. Gotta know that. You know. Shout out to you for making it all the way to this point. You could have bailed out at any point in time during the pie, but you didn't. You stuck it out to the end. And you my fault for that. You know, ride or die. But uh, I'm going to try to run down everybody one more time. Shout out to Keith Nelson Jr. Digital Trends. 
Jamie Broadnax of Black Girl Nerds, Seku Smith of the NBA Hangtime Blog and Podcast, Van Newkirk of The Atlantic, Dr. Wisdom Powell of UNC, and KC and Chris Laban of Black Is. You can find everybody's information, the original episode numbers and links all in the show notes and on the blog pad. All in the blog post on the rundown.com. Gotta know that. Y'all stay tuned, man. Hopefully I can get another podcast jumping off this week. If not, I'm going to see y'all next week. Believe that. I promise I will. Nothing is promised, as Rihanna would say, but this is promised. I will drop a podcast next week. Gotta know that. And I'm out. Peace.